0: Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Elizabeth Cromwell with your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali. Hood.
1: Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Follow us on Twitter or X and Instagram at Rex Pod. Rexfactorpod. Email Rex Podcast at hotmail.com and sign up for bonus content at patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor. And it's an unusual one uh, for us today because we're not reviewing, in fact, a Queen or Prince consort. Uh, instead, we are reviewing Elizabeth Cromwell, the wife of Oliver Cromwell, and very specifically, not a Queen. It fits the um, arc, doesn't it? The timeline. We did Oliver Cromwell in the original series, oh, yes. so we are mirroring so we should, what yeah, we yeah, did yeah. before. And uh, I'm guessing you would be like many who would probably know very little about Elizabeth Cromwell.
0: True. Very true. Though I have been to her house. Ah, it's a bit rude. <laughs> yeah, I know. She wasn't in. Um, <laughs> but I had a wander around. It was just like she left it. Honestly, it's Mary Celeste.
1: <laughs> but I can recommend that if you do find yourself in Ely. Now, while Oliver Cromwell is one of the most famous or infamous figures in British history. Unfortunately, there's very little documentation available for historians, literally nothing between her birth and marriage when it comes to Elizabeth Cromwell.
0: Oh, right. So she wasn't famous or, you know, like a Ar- arist. Oh, no, because Cromwell wasn't aristocratic, was he?
1: Well, we'll find find out her status uh, and uh, all that. But no historian's ever attempted a biography of her. So it's a rare opportunity to put Elizabeth Cromwell in the spotlight, but with the caveat that even in the spotlight, she's a little bit bit in the shade.
0: (laughs) Biography!
1: It's thought Elizabeth Cromwell was born in 1598, probably in Felstead, in Essex. No. She's an Essex girl. Felstead? That is but...
0: Five miles from us both as the
1: crow flies. <laughs> Indeed. So in many ways, your, your sort of early years have followed the Elizabeth Cromwell path. Haven't they? Yeah. Well, they never. She was the daughter of Sir James Bourchier and Francis Crane. We don't know much about her mother, other than that her mother's father came from Newton Tony in Wiltshire. But as the sir implies, Elizabeth's father was a man of some note. Uh, He was a leather and fur merchant in London, knighted during the coronation celebrations for James I in 1603, and he was uh, granted a coat of arms in 1610.
0: So what does that make him an aristocrat?
1: Um, It's it's, it's not exactly, it's not a full-on aristocrat, so he's not a a lord, he doesn't have a proper title or lands in that sense, uh, but gentry, he's gentry. Right. They were a prosperous family, with James having a house in Tower Hill in London, as well as various properties in Essex, uh, particularly Felstead, as we said, and Stambridge. Elizabeth is the eldest of 12 siblings. Blimey. But as I said, after her birth, we hear nothing of her until the 22nd of August 1620, when she marries Oliver Cromwell at St. Giles's Church in Cripplegate in London.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with the uh, dates, but this is pre-Cromwell as we know him.
1: Yes, so this is uh, early days for Cromwell. He's about, I think, it's about a year or so older than her. So um, they're both quite young at this point, sort of twenty, early twenties. Question of why they marry, because you know he isn't a big person at this point. Uh, there are prior connections between the families. So Elizabeth's maternal aunt married a paternal uncle of Oliver Cromwell.
0: Oh. Hmm. Oh, right, so they knew each other then.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the families Before. certainly know each other. Yeah. Um, and Oliver's paternal aunt, Joan Barrington, had other connections with the Borshears and a habit of playing matchmaker. Okay. Both families also have an Essex connection, or Essex connections, um, and they're both Puritans when it comes to religion. So, you know, they're kind of of a similar sort of, you know, cultural and geographical base. The Cromwells are also of gentry status. Uh, Oliver Cromwell is a descendant of a sister of the famous Thomas Cromwell, chief minister of Henry VIII. What my my crush? Your your <laughs> your crush, your Tudor crush.
0: I always thought that was coincidence because I always get used to get <clears throat> them confused, but they're actually related. They are That's actually the related. So
1: Oliver Cromwell isn't a direct descendant of Thomas Cromwell, but he is a direct descendant of Thomas Cromwell's sister. So the Cromwell in the name is is the same. as Cromwell.
0: Oh, I like I like it when there's a. Uh, Lightning genius strikes twice. (laughs) An an argument for nature.
1: Yes, an argument for the hereditary system. (laughs) Which Cromwell would have loved so much. (laughs) So Oliver is also of gentry status, probably a little bit less so than Elizabeth. Elizabeth's family a little bit richer and a little bit more prominent. But he is of the same status. Unfortunately, though, his father's death in 1617 uh, meant that Oliver was struggling for capital as he looked to start a career. So he had to leave Cambridge and then become the man of the family he got lots of sisters and his mother to look after so he's of a status, of a level with Elizabeth but lacking funds Yeah. so Oliver's uh, Oliver's mother therefore negotiates uh, the marriage to the eldest daughter, Elizabeth of a wealthy merchant, connections in London Essex, a dowry of £1500 much needed injection of cash and off they go start their life together Mm. nice, however there is another possibility that they may have met and fallen in love. Oh, what rather than um, rather than being it being arranged for up, them, yeah. it might have been that they actually led it. So, uh, according to legend, Oliver was friendly with Elizabeth's uh, oldest brother and used to visit him in Stanbridge, Whereupon she and Oliver become acquainted and fall in love. And one historian has even speculated that the subsequent absence of the Bourchier family from Cromwell's life, so they really don't pop up any further in the story, might suggest this could even have been a bit of a whirlwind. Romance and that Elizabeth's father disapproved and then basically cuts ties with them, is there a very soon baby um not i, d- I don't think a scandalous okay. uh, a scandalous baby It mm.
0: does sound like love, doesn't it? When mm. you put it like that
1: well, however it comes about, they are well matched um as she said, she's a year older than him, so she's twenty two he's twenty one when they get married, neither particularly renowned um for their beauty, but of course there's Puritans. This is no concern when it comes yeah. to a uh, match. The morals are much more important. <laughs> yeah. uh, Elizabeth is said to have had uh, a defect in one eye, and a portrait shows her as rather plump in middle age, but she thought of being perfectly pleasant in youth, whilst the uh, miniature portraitist Samuel Cooper later described her as neither uncomely or undignified in person. With handsome ears... Oliver had long brown hair parted in the middle with a light moustache. Apparently his nose was rather bulbous and for most of his life he suffered from boils. What a catch. But he's quite tall, quite stocky, so, you know, he's he's got something about him. Yeah. And they're in love. It's cute. More importantly, they do, as you said, seem to have been in love, and they form a very close partnership. Uh, So many years later, in 1650, whilst he was campaigning in Scotland, Oliver wrote to Elizabeth, Thou art dearer to me than any creature, while in her only surviving letter, so we've got one letter from Elizabeth Cromwell that survives, she said that truly my life is but half a life in your absence.
0: That's really nice.
1: And their physical relationship seems to have been passionate as well. So seven children born in the first decade of marriage. Wow. Mm. They don't have life entirely to themselves, however. So they're initially based at Huntingdon. Oh, yeah. Familiar Uh, with that. And and they have a growing brood of children. But also Elizabeth has to share the household with Oliver's unmarried sisters and, most notably, his his, uh, widowed mother.
0: Oh, my Lord. That sounds so stressful.
1: And Oliver's mother seems to have been a strong character and an important influence on Oliver, so it is quite tempting to imagine some domestic tension as both women seek to lead the household. But Yeah. Also, the fact that they're together for so long suggests that they got on sufficiently well to at least get by. I feel like in that time, though, it was the sort of thing you just couldn't do anything about. You might have expected his mother to have moved out to live somewhere on her own as a widow, but they're not financially in a position Mm. to be able to do that. And indeed, in 1630, they do fall upon harder times. Oliver seems to have been suffering from depression
0: at this time. time.
1: So his physician, Dr Simcott, later related how he had been called up to him at midnight and such unseasonable hours very many times upon a strong fancy which made him believe he was then dying. And there went a story of him that in the daytime, lying melancholy in his bed.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? It just doesn't have the word in those days.
1: Hmm. And this was made much worse in 1630 by a legal dispute in Huntington when uh, the king, Charles I, awarded a new charter um, to the town. But this led to a local sort of cabal making a bit of a power grab within the town council and Oliver was excluded from it. So as a result of this, he denounces the mayor and the misuse of the charter in language that was so disgraceful and unseemly that he was reported to the Privy Council for attacking a charter granted by the king. So he gets sent off to Privy Council, uh, is in custody for six days, brought before the Council and he is forced to issue an apology uh, apology to his enemies and given a fine.
0: Oh, that's not what you want. A and fine. he's cut
1: out from, obviously, all the yeah. lucrative stuff that he could have done with. I mean, so, I sort of feel like if you
0: get taken to the Privy Council in those days and you're under in custody for six <laughs> days, being told, say sorry and have a fine, you'd break down in tears <laughs> of joy, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, fine, yeah, of course. Of course. Fine, uh, yeah, yeah. So why, you're why? not going to cut why? my... Uh, what is this? Oh, yeah. 15 <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Oh, history gags.
1: Uh, but as we said, though, he was already facing financial pressure because he's got all those children. He's got his sisters, his mother, and, of course, Elizabeth uh, to be providing for, and... He's suffering from uh, from his depression. So in 1631, mm-hmm. he sells up most of his properties in Huntingdon and moves the family to a farmstead in St. Ives. Oh, right. And then recuses oh, himself from public affairs for the next decade. And it's a major step down for all of them because they are now effectively yeoman farmers. Yeah. So he's working So well, he's land.
0: taken a... Yeah, he's willingly sort of taken that social step back so that it doesn't have the same financial pressures.
1: Well, I'm not sure that it's that he's willingly done it to avoid the financial pressures so much as the financial pressures has enforced yeah. him to... Yeah. You haven't got long to play this game in those days. No, I mean, he was also... He was an MP. He had been an MP for Huntingdon, but in 1629, Charles I um, gets rid of Parliament and has his yeah. sort of decade in a bit of solo rule. Yeah. As ever, we don't have any evidence of what Elizabeth made of all of this, but it must be very galling for her because, as you said, you know she's the daughter of a knight, and has now been reduced to farmer's wife. Yeah, and still has all the children and the sisters, etc., to provide for, and she's the oh. sort of head of the house. I mean, obviously Oliver Cornwall is the quote head of the household, but the expectation is he's going out hunter gathering, as it were. She yeah. is the one that's actually managing the household.
0: Yeah. All of his
1: yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: That is a a gr-
1: a glum period. Mm. He goes undergoes a religious conversion at this time and becomes a uh, a zealous an increasingly zealous puritan. So he's been fairly moderate before, but now he's full-on hardcore puritan with a big p. Frequently mm. makes biblical references now in his speeches and believes that his life is guided by God's purpose.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? He hit the bottom and came back a zealot.
1: Mm. And it probably helps him cope with his reduced circumstances because he does generally think, well, it's all for a reason. I'm mm, yeah. being moved where That's I need to be moved. Uh, it's yet another change for Elizabeth to deal with, of course. <laughs> 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 great, great. That's, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: can, can you just give me a hand with the kids, please? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, when Josiah said that... Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but nevertheless... Go outside
0: and do your preaching. I'm going to churn this butter.
1: However, sure enough, the Lord did provide. So in 1636, Oliver inherits various properties from his maternal uncle in Ely. Uh, So off they go and are once more in receipt of his respectable income. Oh, good. Back. Elder son's sent off to be educated at Felstead. And uh, Elizabeth once more is presiding over a respectable manor house, which I think probably the one that you would have visited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't checked its prices
0: on Zoopla recently, but yeah, (laughs) i
1: I'd go along with that. Uh, in 1640, Cromwell is returned as an MP for Cambridge when Charles recalls Parliament to deal with his oh, yeah. uh, bother in Scotland. And Cromwell is part of the opposition to Charles I that pushes for reforms. And indeed, Cromwell's cousin is one of the five members that Charles tried and failed to arrest in 1642, which led to the Civil War. Oh, right. Mm.
0: Oh, so he's right involved in the in the in the factions that are pushing all this.
1: He's not involved, but also worth noting he's not one of the five members. He's not one of the leading figures at this point. He's sort of more assistant level at this stage of the proceedings.
0: Reminds me of um, when Rishi Sunak was just uh, an advisor to the Chancellor. <laughs> so <laughs> and yeah. he became Chancellor. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, oh, blimey. It's prime minister. There's a lot going on. <laughs> now, civil war comes along. We can only really infer Elizabeth's experience of the war from following Oliver's career and Which will likely have had an impact on her He was an increasingly senior figure uh, Particularly in the Eastern Association uh, But scarce resources Meant that it's quite some time before he actually Receives any pay What? Well they don't have the money to pay him so he has a wage But they don't They aren't actually able to pay it And he even invests £2,000 of his own money To help raise troops To go and campaign in Ireland
0: Why? Why? Surely that's what taxes are for. Why is he paying? Or
1: is this so this that is he is a has civil, more control. This is the Civil War. Oh, of course. Yeah. Why don't we just raise taxes? Well, cause we need the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that's the will point, you, yes. Will you all stop fighting for a minute, please? I <laughs> think. Now, as a good Puritan, Elizabeth is naturally frugal in how she manages the household, but, you know, she's providing for over 10 people at this Blimey. stage. So even for her, no money is a near impossibility. Yeah. More, uh, money, d- more money, Well, exactly. So indeed, Oliver's mother, still going, 78. <laughs> Those death cat mushrooms haven't helped, do they? <laughs> uh, she wrote to a cousin saying, I wish there might be care to spare some money for my son, who I fear being too long and much neglected.
0: They're back in poverty. Well,
1: well poverty it's a different girl. sort of thing where it's not that they've gone down a stage. It's not that they've gone down in status this time. It's just that... You know, it's isn't a complicated it? thing, and obviously Parliament at this point, you know, isn't the one with all the leaders yeah. of financial power, so it's difficult for them to get their hands on actual cash to pay everybody. So in February 1644, Oliver uh, gets to go home, so he gets to go back to Ely as a Lieutenant General, so he's second in command now of the Eastern Association. Oh, nice. What is this association? Um, it's just, you know, basically, literally just I guess, the army for the east of England. Oh, uh, OK. Uh, still not receiving his pay, um... Initially, though, so he's on a very good wage, but he's not getting it. Yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, tragically, the eldest surviving son, also called Oliver, dies of smallpox at this time at the age of twenty-one. S- What's so his name? Oliver.
0: Oh, of course. Oliver I didn't know. I didn't know. So,
1: and that's four years what? after their first son, Robert, had died at university. Okay, so Richard was third choice. Richard was third son. Yeah, third son. Yeah, maybe not choice. <laughs> uh, thankfully, though, things do then uh, begin to improve. So, in April of sixteen forty-four, Oliver is finally getting his wages. Good. So he arranges for five pounds a week to go to Elizabeth, which should be enough to get by if she manages her spending carefully.
0: Is that what he says?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the other two thousand four hundred ninety-five pounds? Ah, <laughs> take this fiver. And go and watch a Star War. <laughs> uh, and the war is also going well uh, for the parliamentarians. Uh, Cromwell leads uh, cavalry to victory in the Battle of Marston Moor, which effectively seals northern England for parliament. Uh, and in 1646, Charles I surrendered himself to the Scots, and parliament now completely holds sway in England. At this point, with Charles gone and the war effectively over for a period, uh, Elizabeth and her family are then able to be reunited with Oliver again because they now move away from East Anglia completely and go to live on Drury Lane in London. Oh, right. Huge change for all of them, not least Oliver's mother, who is still going at 81 and probably never even lived in a <laughs> <Hampshire> before. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, when I said about you know living, living with uh, the mother-in-law, she really does. <laughs> she sticks yeah, she around.
0: Really- yeah, she's loving it.
1: But what this means for Elizabeth, now that she's in London, is she has a ringside view of all of the unfurling events, uh-huh. uh, and particularly when Charles I uh, doesn't come to an agreement with the Scots, so they hand him over to Parliament, and Cromwell is now one of those negotiating, trying to find a settlement with the king. Because he's meanwhile, he's going up and up and up in the world. He's going up and up in the world. Indeed, on one occasion, Elizabeth is actually introduced to Charles I. So they go to Hampton Court for an evening where Charles entertains her um and some of the other leading parliamentary figures and their wives. So Elizabeth does actually get to spend a pleasant evening at Hampton Court with Charles the 1st. So this is a bit where it's all what
0: do we do with this we've captured a king. No 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 previous stuff to go on. Let's just carry on having banquets and then Yeah. Okay. And so is he is he like a um uh, an attraction for Elizabeth to go and see. <laughs>
1: yeah, just put him up in the zoo.
0: Not that, like not because it's important for her to meet him as a power player. It's just like, look, look at this captured king, come and have a look.
1: No, because the, the assumption for a long time is that they will have to find a way of coming to terms with the king. People can't really imagine the king not being there. The entire system of government is based on there being a king. Yeah. So the assumption yeah. is that they will find a way to oh, okay. reform government with Charles as the king. So Oliver Cromwell is one of the leading figures now in Parliament and negotiating with the King, therefore one evening In she comes. In comes Elizabeth and gets to gets gets to meet him. Well, lucky lucky lady. Lucky lucky Charles. Yes, now hopefully she doesn't get too attached to Charles because Cromwell ultimately decided that there won't be any peace whilst Charles is alive. So on January in January sixteen forty nine, Charles I is executed and England becomes a republic.
0: Okay. How does she feel about
1: this, do you think? We don't know, but she's a woman of a conservative upbringing. Her father had been knighted by Charles's father, of course. Oh, yeah. So whilst I'm sure she would have gone with whatever Oliver Cromwell would have said needed to be done and understood it, she might have found such an extreme measure difficult to stomach. It does really go against all norms of social life in England.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a
1: it's a, a
0: difficult decision even for
1: the um uh, uh parliamentarians, right? As you were saying, there's no there's no route to follow, no guide. Although the English Civil War was over, there were still battles to be fought. So Oliver led a parliamentary invasion of Ireland that same year. Um, okay. And as in the title of Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, um, it's thought that Elizabeth was meant to go and join him in Dublin. Whilst he was there, it's not entirely clear if she actually made it. She travelled west and visited their eldest surviving son, Richard, and his new wife at Hursley in Hampshire. And she sort of watched Oliver embark from Milford Haven in August, but there's no evidence to suggest that she actually makes the journey across to go to Ireland. Right. If she does go, that would probably be the only time that she would have left the country, but probably she didn't actually go. She is part of the crowd that welcomes Oliver back uh, at Windsor in May 1650, after conquering Ireland with notorious brutality. Uh, And they now move into accommodation known as Cockpit, which is part of Whitehall Palace, so very much at the centre of government. Mm. Uh, Oliver's soon off again, though, because this time he's got to go to Scotland, uh, and again, he is victorious, and it's whilst he's campaigning in Scotland, we have the only surviving correspondence between them, including Elizabeth's only surviving letter. Now, in 1651, Oliver is finally able to hang up his army boots and settle full time with Elizabeth and the family in London. He's the dominant figure, but he's not yet the head of state, which is one of the surprising things. I think when we did his episode, how long it is before he is actually mm. law protector and in charge. And the next few years really just see a struggle uh, as parliaments try to work out a new system of government where they don't have a king. Mm. And eventually they sort of decide that they pretty much can't do it. So in 1653, Cromwell is created Lord Protector. So he's head of state, but not technically monarch. Yeah. They ask him to be king, don't they? Later on they do. At this point, it's just Lord Protector, and he is the head of state in the way that the king was, but he isn't a monarch. Now, Elizabeth Cromwell is titled Her Highness the Lady Protector. Oh, which again shows, shows you that sort of pseudo monarch thing. It's not technically yeah. a monarch, but Her Highness the Lady Protector. It's a
0: Oh gosh, it's all but name, isn't it? It's she must be
1: chuffed to bits. Uh and she now has to help organise the family's the family's biggest move of all as they now move out of Cockpit and instead are given possession of the entirety of Whitehall Palace and Hampton Court Palace.
0: That's a step up from that farmstead, isn't
1: it? Step up from the farmstead. Step up from when she was in Ely with household of ten and no pay coming in, yeah. or indeed five pounds a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, F- both of those farm. palaces require extensive refurbishment because they've been sort of pretty much abandoned for the last decade. Uh, so extensive refurbishment is required of the palaces, and Elizabeth is one who will oversee that. Many believe that she felt great unease at this new position in life.
0: Yeah.
1: Because, again, you think of her conservative and puritanical upbringing, Her Highness, the Lady Protector, is not really what's been drilled into her as her station. Uh, And she's in the spotlight for the first time in her life now. So she does become the the target of satirists, uh, royalists, obviously, uh, particularly. um, They style her as Joan, which is a name associated with the lower classes.
0: Oh. Didn't Bloomin ask for this. Well, no, exactly.
1: (laughs) Uh, now, the move to Whitehall in 1654 coincided with the death of Oliver's mother, finally, with the old age of <laughs> 89. Wow. Yeah.
0: Gosh, she she thought she was playing the game, didn't she? Mm. That'd be an excellent longevity.
1: Uh, a major loss for Oliver, but, you know, having lived with her, and frankly probably seen a lot more of her than Oliver for the last 34 years, Elizabeth must <laughs> have felt the death keenly as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, Elizabeth oversees the refurbishments of Whitehall And Hampton Court palaces. Um, Whitehall is where they're based during the week while Oliver's governing, and then they go off to Hampton Court for the weekends. Lovely. Her official portrait is done this time by uh, Robert Walker, which shows Elizabeth in almost regal attire. So she doesn't wear a crown, but she has a dress of black velvet, orange lining, pearl earrings and necklace, and her pose and expression is pretty reminiscent of the previous queen, Henrietta Maria. It's it's, it's not, as I say, it's not a crown. It doesn't have any of the regalia of state, but equally, it's no. it's not completely separate yeah. from royalty. It doesn't feel like she's stressing. It wouldn't be kind of, out of place, would it, in amongst yeah. other those portraits? Um And indeed, as as you were saying, Oliver is uh, then later petitioned to actually become king.
0: Mm.
1: Now, again, you want to know what does Elizabeth think? And of course, I will say. Mm we don't know. He surely would have discussed it with her. Yeah, One assumes. It's not a stretch to think she might not have liked the idea of being Queen. Obviously the impact it has on her, the impact it will have on their family. Of course it makes Richard the son the now the heir yeah. to the throne. Mm. Uh, obviously the daughters become princesses. Seems like the daughters probably would have quite liked that actually. They do sort of conduct themselves a little bit like they are princesses. Um, mm. Of course as ever, Her views are not recorded, but Oliver does refuse the crown. Oh. Do you think that was her? You could speculate. Um, There are obvious negatives from his perspective as well, given that the whole raison d'etre for all of this. Yeah, so Oliver does refuse the crown, um, though in 1657 he's reinvested as Lord Protector in a much grander and more regal ceremony which utilises the coronation chair. Because other people want him to be king that much, they will say, oh, okay, we're just an all-but-name. Mm. It sort of feels a bit like Caesar refusing to be king. Oh, okay. Refusing a or crown, and yet clearly... Yeah, coveting it. Clearly is it. Um, yeah. difference? That, so the ceremonies at Westminster Hall rather than Westminster Abbey. Mm. So that's the only time the coronation chair ever moved, apparently. Not Absolutely. really. Abbey. I
0: mean, yeah. not fooling anyone, are they?
1: completely different secular building no bishops yeah Oliver is also now granted the right to appoint his successor
0: it is king
1: and she is queen hmm Sixteen fifty seven is very much the apex of his protectorate. Um it seems to have been a good year for Elizabeth as well. So both of her younger daughters marry uh in this year. Elizabeth is recorded as dancing at the wedding of Francis Cromwell, to a grandson of the Earl of Warwick. Um and it's a surprisingly elaborate celebration with the band comprising forty eight violins, which is double the number that Louis the Fourteenth employed in France.
0: God, that's a bit a bit elaborate for old
1: Hmm. Uh, and Mary's wedding, the other daughter's, even uh, is a more intimate affair, though the celebrations still feature uh, a mask, written by the famed poet Andrew Marvell. Yeah. So, lovely times in 1657, but the following year, it's an end to the good times. First, they suffer the loss of a granddaughter, to whom they've been close. Mm-hmm. In August, their favourite daughter, uh, Betty, dies. And the family physician wrote to their son Henry that I never saw two parents so affected or more than my Lord Protector and Her Highness. Yeah, it wasn't really usual to care that much about your children. <laughs> <is it? laughs> and Oliver's grief sped a decline in his own physical health. Um, he's suffering mm. from kidney stones and then is laid low by a bout of malarial fever. Gosh. Now, he has been prone to bouts of ill health over the years, and, and in bed told Elizabeth, I tell you, I shall not die this hour. I'm sure on it. This time, however, he was not to recover, and he dies on the 3rd of September 1658 holding Elizabeth's hand.
0: Oh, well, he was right though, wasn't he? he didn't well, die that hour.
1: <laughs> not this hour. No, but uh, probably before bedtime, no. I was very, very specific what I said. <laughs> As ever, we have got no direct recording of how this affected Elizabeth, but one imagines. All of these losses would have been devastating in the space of three months as a granddaughter, daughter and husband of 38 years.
0: Oh, How old is she?
1: 60. Now, as I said, Oliver had the right to uh, nominate his successor so of course he is succeeded as Lord Protector by his son, Richard Cromwell. Mm. And the government is keen to ensure that generous provision is made for Her Highness Dowager, i.e. Elizabeth. So, so she,
0: she's actually notable because she's had two positions that no one else has ever
1: had. Mm, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, and she is to live at Saint James's Palace and receives uh, will receive a one-off payment of twenty thousand pounds, as well as an annual pension of twenty thousand pounds.
0: Wow. Mm. Gosh. Yeah, I mean
1: that seems like
0: a bit of an admin fluff, doesn't it? The twenty thousand <laughs> so, pounds a year.
1: When it's exactly the same number, are we sure that it's what it says? Right. Yeah. Every, every. It's just there's year, quite a big difference between once and every year.
0: Yeah. Why are no. we doing this once thing if we're giving her so much money <laughs> yeah. for the rest of her life?
1: Unfortunately for Elizabeth Cromwell, this uh, provision is not seen through. Rich Cromwell had not served with the army and is unable to command their loyalty or really anyone else's and within parliament there are serious divisions over how government should be conducted so in may 1659 richard cromwell is forced to renounce power and the following year leaves england for 20 years never to see elizabeth or indeed his own wife again a self-imposed exile understandable really yeah it would be a bit what you've been kicked out of power that's probably so i so see he did have a wife suppose actually there was one other person who had the same position as elizabeth dorothy cromwell richard's wife was also briefly Lady Protector. We're not going to do her just as we didn't do Richard. Special oh yeah, of maybe. course we would be. Now, while Richard has never commanded the loyalty of the army, or mainly in Parliament, Elizabeth, as we saw from that very generous provision, was obviously did have some respect and did command some loyalty. So the army urged Parliament to allocate her a pension now of £8,000 a year, which is still a lot less than what was given before, but it is still a very respectable income. Yeah. And particularly and now, now that one-off... Yeah, Makes well. sense. <laughs> but particularly now, you know, the Cromwells aren't in power anymore, that's not a thing, but there's obviously still this strong sense of wanting to do right by her, yeah, even cause... though they didn't want to do right by Richard. Yeah, and she's still going to be living at St. James's Palace as well.
0: Oh, right, mm-hmm. oh, nice. I mean, that's a good setup, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's
1: like, okay, I'll, I'll take the 8,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, events are still moving rather fast. Her son-in-law, Charles Fleetwood, is removed as Commander-in-Chief of the Army, so she doesn't really have a protector at court anymore. England is threatening to descend into civil war, because no-one can now agree. Without Cromwell's steady hand, no-one can really agree now how they're meant to be governed, what's meant to be going on. So in February 1660, General Monk, an army figure, marches south from Scotland into London and takes control of the city.
0: So is he now Lord Protector?
1: Well, he's not not Lord Protector, but there's obviously a big question mark over what he's going to do. Now, Elizabeth had probably been relieved that he's there because he very much admired Oliver, and the previous year he'd written to her son-in-law, Fleetwood, urging him to use your endeavours with all affectionate care and industry that himself, that is Richard Cromwell, and family, together with Her Highness Dowager, may have such honourable provision settled upon them. So the previous year, Monk, had been like, you've got to make sure that this honourable family and indeed Elizabeth Cromwell are well provided for following the mm. death of Oliver. So the fact that he's come south, taken control, she thinks, well, that's good because, yeah, he's a mate. However, no. Monk also has come to the conclusion that the only way to restore stability in England is through the restoration of the monarchy, Yeah, which he helps to negotiate. So the eldest son of Charles I now becomes charles ii and now elizabeth might feel she's got quite a lot to worry about because charles has declared that he will issue a general pardon for the events of the civil war excepting only such persons as shall thereafter be exempted by parliament so he's saying everyone is fine i'm going to issue a pardon to absolutely everybody but we will just make a list of exceptions to that pardon and elizabeth will probably be a little bit worried that her family might be among those exemptions. Yeah, I bet. So, seemingly without anyone really noticing, Elizabeth slips out of London with her daughter Frances and goes to a charterhouse in Surrey under the protection of its governor, Colonel Philip Jones, who then takes them to his native Wales, to Cardiff. Ah. Huh. And then in November 1660, Elizabeth actually petitioned Charles II Second. So mm-hmm. she professed her obedience to the government and praying for protection without which she could not expect in her old age a safe retirement in a place in His Majesty's dominions. Yeah, please don't kill me. Can I come back? Mm. Thankfully for Elizabeth, Charles accepts the petition, responding was... that he was pleased to distinguish between the concernment of your petitioner, Elizabeth, and those mm-hmm. of her relatives who have been obnoxious.
0: <laughs> what did he.
1: Why? What. So.
0: Who else?
1: The other children, the girls. Uh, well, no. So the surviving Cromwells are not targeted for retribution. So the focus for Charles's uh, vengeance is on the regicides, i.e., those who mm. signed the death warrant of Charles I. Yeah. Now, the only close family members for Elizabeth, who to whom this applies, are Oliver, her ex-husband, mm. and Henry Ireton, another son-in-law, both of whom, however, are already dead. Uh, okay. But death is no barrier to justice, so in 1661, Elizabeth has to endure the news that Oliver and Ayrton have been disinterred from Westminster Abbey, dragged to Tyburn, hanged, dismembered and decapitated, with Oliver's head placed on a spike on the roof of Westminster Hall.
0: That's pretty grim, isn't it?
1: And in addition, Cromwell's mother, one of his sisters, and their late granddaughter are also disinterred from the Abbey and thrown into a pit at St Margaret's in Westminster.
0: Cromwell's mother?
1: Yeah, she was buried at Westminster Abbey.
0: The 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 survivor. The woman who died at like ninety or something. Yeah. Why do they get why do they take it out on her?
1: Well, I guess they just decide none of the Cromwells should be uh, should be there. Although weirdly they do leave the daughter Betty.
0: That's actually but it sounds like a crowd that's just got got a bit carried away.
1: Mm. Now, thankfully Elizabeth probably never sees this spectacle. She lays low in Wales and then retires to live with her son in law, so the widow of daughter Betty, John Claypole, in Northborough Manor, which is near Peterborough, so she probably never goes back to London
0: Mm. Oh, Peterborough, that's nice so she's in her old haunt
1: Uh, She suffers the occasional struggle with creditors um, and her own health now goes into decline, as described by her daughter Mary My poor mother is so affecting a spectacle so I scarce know what to write The Lord knows best what is best for us to suffer and therefore I desire we may willingly submit to his will but the condition she is in is very sad The Lord help her and us to bear it.
0: How old is she now?
1: Uh, Well, yeah, so she dies in November 1665 at the age of 67. It's not a bad age for... Yeah, and with a family member and in her bed, presumably. Indeed. Uh, And she's buried in the nearby St Andrew's Church. Um, There's a modern plaque marking the location of her burial, but the original gravestone is bare, So the original inscriptions either become defaced or just faded away with time.
0: Weird that it wasn't. Well, it was not weird that it wasn't more spectacular. But you've effectively got a queen just chilling out or chilling out dead in (laughs) uh, Saint Andrews, where it is. It's weird that one she can
1: rise so high and yet sort of just slip away so quietly and Mm, without notice. Anyway, that is the life and non-consortship of Elizabeth Cromwell. We'll review her after a quick break.
0: Battliness!
1: Well, it's pretty slim pickings for Elizabeth here. The only thing I thought we could really go for is that she petitions Charles II in 1660. So this is the first and really only time we have evidence of her acting as an independent agent, having lost Oliver, her son having been deposed. So she personally makes an appeal to the new king. And successfully, because he accepts her assertion of innocence and doesn't bother her. Yeah, but uh, this is Rex factor. That's just um, at the very, 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 very last point saying, can I not die? (laughs) Yes. In the letter, she asserted that she never intermeddled with any public transaction to his present and late majesty, and that she was ready to yield humble and faithful obedience to the government. Mm. So in other words, no role in the protectorate, no resistance to the monarchy, I completely surrender
0: yeah i mean that's the only card to play there yeah
1: it's a perfectly smart move absolutely the right one to do but equally i guess it acknowledges her lack of influence and power um and it may well be her very lack of agency is the reason that charles is ready to accept her petition and leave her trouble because he's yeah. like yeah i absolutely agree you had no role or agency in any of the major events of the last <laughs> yeah. two decades it's her petitioning for a zero battliness score to live with a zero
0: Scandal!
1: As Lady Protector, Elizabeth was subject to satirical attacks that cast aspersions on her character. So the Cuckoo's Mm. Nest at Westminster was a serial that portrayed Elizabeth and Anne Fairfax, who was the wife of the commander of the New Model Army, as misappropriating public money, jockeying for position to be the next queen, and cuckolding their husbands. Mm.
0: Doesn't seem... In her character,
1: the uh, Victorian historian John uh, Henny Jesse dismisses propaganda as venomous absurdities unworthy of notice. Yeah. Uh, Even the uh, gossip in chief, Samuel Pepys, only mentions her (laughs) once. That's just in relation to a room about her daughter courting a chaplain. Right. So Samuel Pepys hasn't got anything to go on. Yeah. That's true. I mean, we've got to we've got to say this is a zero, haven't we? Well, I've got another little thing. Okay. Elizabeth's petition to Charles II wasn't just begging for forgiveness because she was the widow of Oliver Cromwell, but it was also widely reported that she had been setting about looting the royal palaces of royal jewels before intending to make a swift exit to Europe. So this was reported in a contemporary journal. So not a propaganda thing. An actual, you know, proper officer. Yeah. Whitehall, May twelfth, sixteen sixty. Information being given that there were several of His Majesty's goods at a fruiterer's warehouse near the Three Cranes in Thames Street, London, which were there kept as the goods of Miss Mrs Elizabeth Cromwell, wife to Oliver Cromwell, deceased, sometimes called protector, and it being not very improbable that the said Mrs Cromwell might convey away some such goods. Mm. Well, she, I mean,
0: to be fair, she's faced financial hardship a lot, and there's opulence aplenty... It's and like she, going to Buckingham Palace and nicking an ashtray.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. It's basically just a little bit of larceny from Elizabeth. She had been promised the £20,000 and the £20,000 yeah. pension. Then she was probably £8,000 and now she's getting nothing. She's like, right, well, I'm having the silver then. <laughs> yeah, I've got my own deal here. <laughs> uh, however, in the petition, she insists to Charles that instead others had stolen the goods and uh, she had no involvement in the affair. She was deeply sensible of the unjust imputation of detaining jewels that belonged to the king, which, besides the disrepute, exposed her to loss and violence as pretence of search for them. She was willing to swear that she knew of none such.
0: Yeah. I just she, also don't think she would lie.
1: Yeah, and also, you got to remember this time, we said how she doesn't really have a protector at this point, so she's mm. isolated and vulnerable. It maybe does seem more likely that other people will take advantage of her and just think, mm. right, it's just this old old woman that no one's really interested in and she's going to get Mm. kicked out, no one's going to be upset if we steal from Oliver Cromwell's widow
0: let's just say it's that
1: yeah, rather than the idea that she is making arrangements to smuggle royal treasure out of the country
0: yeah, I don't think I can believe it
1: it'd make for a good consort card to have uh, the puritanical housewife with a swag uh, bag but uh, I'm not sure it's likely no in which case,
0: it's about zero. Subjectivity. There's a bit
1: more to go on here, thankfully. Uh, she enjoys a close marriage to Oliver for nearly 40 years, and we have glimpses of potential influence Elizabeth might have exerted. In her one and only surviving letter to Oliver, she wrote not just of domestic affairs, but also does also touch on matters of state. So she tells him... I. I would you would think to write sometimes to your dear friend, my Lord Chief Justice, of whom I have often put you in mind. And truly, my dear, if you would think of what I put you in mind of some, it might be to as much purpose as others, writing sometimes a letter to the President and sometimes to the Speaker.
0: She's accusing him of not like talking up to Parliament. I mean, that is probably getting involved.
1: Yeah, so some historians have even been tempted to speculate, you know, maybe she was actually quite an influential hidden figure behind the scenes. Maybe yeah. even could she have been the shrewd director of his political career, telling him, you need to speak to this person, you need to do this, keeping in touch yeah. with what's going on. As she said, she could have counselled him on the execution of the king, the rejection of the crown. John Littleburn, pamphleteer, uh, accused her of disposing of military appointments during Cromwell's generalship, which also implies some yeah. influence. Ultimately, of course, as she said, we don't know. We don't actually have any evidence of it beyond hints of it here. But it's not a stretch to think she would have been an important confidant, an important part of Oliver's story.
0: Absolutely. I mean, they would have spoken, but I don't think she was a power player.
1: If you think that's the only surviving letter we had that suggests that perhaps it's not probably wasn't an unusual thing that she said you need to be talking to this person and need to be doing that. It does imply that she knows what's going on, that she is in connect. she has a connection to these people, that she mm. is part of conversations in some way. Mm. There's a legend that Elizabeth interceded with Oliver, begging him to spare the life of Charles I and there's even right. quite a famous a painting a Victorian painting uh, showing this of Elizabeth and her daughter surrounding Cromwell begging for the life of the king um and interesting this would show her very much in the mould of a traditional consort uh you know it, off urging softness clemency oh, yeah. from the monarch mm. uh we also know that lady fairfax approached her asking her for her to intercede with Oliver when Uh, He was angry that Fairfax's daughter had married the Duke of Buckingham. So it does seem logical that Elizabeth would be sought out for intercession, as were Queen consorts before her. Um, Unfortunately, other than these two incidents, there's no evidence of this occurring. And indeed, the Charles I legend is perhaps rather uh, rather suspiciously a seemingly Victorian legend. So that probably didn't happen, or certainly not in the way that it's portrayed, she may have argued against it, but even if she did petition Oliver to spare his life, obviously wasn't successful. Yeah, true. I mean I'm tempted to give a one. I got a bit more for you, got a bit more for you. you You might build on that one. As Lady Protector, she did have a bit of a public role to play. She had her own table at official receptions and dinners, so she helped to entertain the wives of councillors and foreign dignitaries, including hosting the Dutch Ambassador just two weeks after moving into Whitehall uh, to mark the signing of a peace treaty. And it was observed that the uh, festivities were held with the same regal splendour as Henrietta Maria. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Her primary role was managing the Protectorate Households, the 17th uh, 17th Century Historian James Heath recorded, that she very frugally housewifed it and would nicely and finically tax the expensive unthriftiness, as she said, of the other woman, i.e. Henrietta Maria, who lived there before her. So there's a sense that, you know, with her background of uh, as Puritan housewife and very little money going, that she's actually got a much more firm hand Mm. over the uh, not-royal. Expenses. Mm. That said, mm. she does still have to spend over £35,000 refurbishing Whitehall and Hampton Court. You mm. see, she wouldn't have liked that then. I think that would have been too <clears throat> worrying. Probably wouldn't have liked it, but equally, that's her duty and her role, so mm. that's what she has to do. So she orders new plate, curtains, and furniture, digs out the old furnishings, decorations, some of Henry VIII's old tapestries yeah. back on the walls. So the royalist uh, diarist John Evelyn recorded in 1656, I ventured to go to Whitehall, where of many years I had not been, and found it very glorious and well furnished as far as I could safely go.
0: Ah, Nice.
1: And there's some evidence of uh, good deeds from Elizabeth. She created a new dairy for Whitehall. So buttermilk became a bit of a speciality. An area of St James's Park was fenced off for the cows.
0: I mean, this is scraping the barrel, isn't it, when you say she's put a fence up for some cows?
1: Uh, they ate high-quality produce, but seldom <laughs> fanciful. Nothing goes to waste, so Elizabeth arranged that any leftover food would be sent to St Margaret and St Martin in the field to be distributed to the poor. Good. Uh, and she also employed six daughters and impoverished Puritan ministers to work in her own apartments to produce needlework. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of a little bit of a woman after your own heart. There, she's got her own sort of organic, uh, yeah, thing going on yeah. there. No waste.
0: No, my, my, the needle hasn't moved off one.
1: <laughs> the overriding pressure, obviously, is the lack of a formalised role. So unlike the law protector, the lady protector has no defined constitutional role. It's just, there's nothing said of what she is meant to do or not do. It's just not recorded. It's not thought that she attended either of the ceremonies which invest Oliver as law protector. And Mm. and actually generally she's absent from state occasions. Uh, So Emily Kaiser has suggested that this may demonstrate that early modern republicanism and humanist ideas of citizenship had no emancipatory effects upon women. Oh right, yeah. Imagine so. It's also possible it was an, a deliberate omission in terms of Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell, and the Parliamentarians, because as we saw last time, the Queen Henrietta Maria was very controversial and seen as yeah. one of the causes of the Civil War. So it might have been a very deliberate choice not to use the wife or family of Oliver Cromwell as symbols of state power.
0: Okay, that whole um, "you've got to be careful of women" thing again. They yeah, do so exactly
1: she... what men do. So the very lack of evidence for Elizabeth's life and role, then, could be a political statement of the new regime. It's not royalty, it's not a dynasty, she's a domestic wife and not part of government, so don't need to record anything for posterity, because that's not important. Yeah, I see. Which I suppose in her defence might mean that, say, actually maybe she was important, it was just political not to record anything that she did. But equally it meant that she was legally not important.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Whichever way you, you uh, whichever way you flip the coin, it's still got the other side of the face on this, isn't it? Yeah. they're trying to
1: they're trying to show both sides at the same time. Mm. While much of the propaganda against Elizabeth is sort of extreme and of dubious veracity, some criticisms do ring a little bit more true. So, royalists claim she was unable to transition from humble housewife to pseudo queen. Uh, and in the pamphlet "The Court and Kitchen of Elizabeth Cromwell," it claimed. Much ado had she at first to raise her mind and deportment to this sovereign grandeur, and very difficult it was for her to lay aside those impertinent meannesses of her private fortune. She could not comport with her present condition, nor forget the common converse and affairs of life, but like some kitchen maid, preferred by the lust of some rich and noble dotard, was ashamed of her sudden and gaudy bravery.
0: Yeah, I mean that I mean, that is riven with um, snobbery snobbery and uh, chauvinism, but I sort of get that opinion of her as well.
1: Yeah, it's not entirely accurate in the sense of she had to spend a lot of money refurbishing the palaces and apparently does it pretty well, but it does feel plausible that she doesn't really feel at ease yeah. in this regal position. It doesn't seem to go with what very little we do have to go on with her this doesn't seem to fit
0: no it's um i'm kevin mcleod here and we're (laughs) at uh uh uh, and here we've got elizabeth cromwell who is going to project manage and uh deliver this project all on time and on budget how are you elizabeth i'm fine i'm having a lovely (laughs) lovely time and then six months later kevin visits again and she's having a breakdown in a caravan
1: Edward Ludlow, a parliamentarian who knew her, stated that she was far from gratified when forced to move from cockpit to Whitehalls. So this is before becoming Lady Protector. Um, and so it's not hard to believe that she did bring her experience of frugal household management to court, and this would have been looked down on by those expecting just frivolity and mm. excess. But, of course, in her defence, this was very much the tone of the whole protectorate regime. That's the point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is.
1: But also... Does she ever really settle into being virtual queen? Possibly not. Well, it's difficult. It's it's asking someone who doesn't want to play the part
0: to do it without any lines. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I feel sorry for her, but it's not going to score her well. Uh, One.
1: I guess also there's the, the amount of the loyalty the army showed towards her after Oliver's death as well. Even after Richard's fall, I mean, you could say maybe that's loyalty to Oliver, loyalty and they follow. Yeah. But still, you know, that also implies that there's a sense that she is seen as having done the role well throughout this time. she will have been known to all these people, mm. so that suggests she commands a certain amount of loyalty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give her a two.
0: Okay, three. That sounds about right. <laughs> Longevity.
1: So we're gonna follow what we said for. Oliver Cromwell, in terms of all of this. So it's not just from the fall of Charles I, it's the actual protector. Mm. So Elizabeth is Lady Protector from the 16th of December 1653 to the 3rd of September 1658. So a reign, in inverted commas, Mm. four years and eight months, which is 4.67 years. However. worse? Well. Oh. She is also the mother oh, of yeah. the Lord Protector from the 3rd of September 1658 to the 25th of May 1659, a reign of mm. eight months. So 0.67 years, which gives her a total there of 5.34 years, though only half marks for the less than a year as mother. So that takes her to 5.01 years, which equates to a score of 5.5, which is the 41st best overall.
0: I mean, it's not awful, but it is awful. <laughs> <laughs> Dynasty! Not the program.
1: Elizabeth has five children who survive Oliver Cromwell, mm-hmm. which gives her a score of 15. Oh, that is good. Joint tenth. Wow. I mean, she did spend a good ten years plopping them out. Uh, they actually had nine children together, with 4 predeceasing Oliver, including Betty, who died just a month before Oliver, so very nearly six surviving children. Mm. 15 for Dynasty, uh, which is more points than she got for the previous factors put together. So that gives her a total score of 23.5, which will place her in 37th place, uh, just above Berengaria of Navarre and just below uh, Joan of Navarre. Navarrese sandwich. (laughs) What's the contents of a Navarrese sandwich? (laughs) Elizabeth Cromwell. Indeed. I'll always remember that now. Oh, no, but
0: they don't follow each other. Oh, no, now I'm going to think that Elizabeth of Navarre was after Elizabeth Cromwell.
1: Yeah, or indeed that there wasn't Elizabeth of Navarre. Who's the top bit of bread then? Uh, There's Joan of Navarre. Ah, that's even more confusing because they used to call her Joan (laughs) in the the satire. So... Oh...
0: I think I've, I think I've just made one of those um, false circuits in my head that's going to just <laughs> stick there forever.
1: Mm. Though I do now think that somebody should be doing a consult card for a, us of Elizabeth Cromwell with a bag of swag in a sandwich that looks somehow. In a sandwich, somehow. a
0: Cromwell sandwich, yeah. Oh, imagine how good a Navarese sandwich would be. I mean, I could have come back from the Pyrenees saying, oh, "I've just had the most amazing <laughs> Navarre sandwich."
1: <you> know.
0: <laughs> <sighs> what they put in that, I don't know what it was. It was delicious. <laughs>
1: Bit East Anglian in the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bit sort of. Ely? Like sort of. Freshwater fish. <laughs> anyway, it's not all about the score or the sandwich. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement and star quality that we call. Rex Factor! It's a hard sell. Go it's hard on then. Uh, she's an important part of Oliver Cromwell's life. Yeah. Inspired, obviously, loyalty in him and his officers. But she really seems to embody the antithesis of star quality. It's almost like that's the point of her. That's her virtue at the time, is that she has no star quality.
0: It was the same with Cromwell, wasn't it? We we said um, we didn't give it to him and he would have been pleased, or something along those lines. But she can't... She almost can't... Aside from the fact that she wasn't Rexy, Mm. she couldn't have got it because her whole... Role was to be that of not queen.
1: Yeah. Um, but also being queen. Mm. So, yeah, it's hard to really think of any greatness or legacy at all that she really leaves to history.
0: Wow. Well, that grass on the would have been a bit more fertilised from the cows. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit damning, isn't it? <laughs> Her legacy to history is literal cow manure.
1: <laughs> so I fear, therefore, that must be a No.
0: I, yeah, it is a note. And she's. Uh, I I think she was an incredible woman to have put up with what she did and go through what she did. Mm. Uh, and I think she navigated that by being totally unrexy. <laughs> so, well done. Uh, I, I like it. But no.
1: And she did get a better subjectivity score than Henrietta Maria last time. So, you know, at least. She's mm. got some victories.
0: Correspondence Corner.
1: <laughs> anyway, that's it. Elizabeth Cromwell does not have the Rex Factor. Let us know what you thought about her. As you said, find us on Twitter, uh, X, and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Email RexFactorPodcast.hotmail.com at com, and please do get us a hashtag consult card for Elizabeth Cromwell and that swaggy Navarre sandwich. Yeah. If you'd like to support the podcast, be sure to subscribe uh, on whatever podcast provider you use donate monthly and join the Privy Council where you will have access to over 200 bonus episodes at patreon.com forward slash rexfactor and we have some new Privy Councilers to welcome to the fold Bueno, excellent <laughs> Judy Harding Eric Nicholson Louise Noonan, Abby Hart Jennifer George Amy Muggleston, Jodie Nell Hannah Ponsford Alison Briggs, Sarah Lincoln, Wendy Franker, Victoria Holland, Valerie Gotasky, Brandon Bender, Dan Schilling, Dragger, Kate Chunk, Jen Barnard, Simon and Jess, Christy McKenna, Michelle Goldenpenny, Tyler Thomas, Lauren Baker, and Patrick Moody! Moody mm. to the rescue! Welcome one and all, and be sure a link to our discord for
0: chatty chatty chats.
1: So the uh, the moody one there was a special request from Patrick because he wanted his name done in the style of Sir Walter Manny. Oh uh, right yeah Moody! <laughs> so that is all from us today next time we will be back with Queen's Proper and Catherine of Braganza, Queen Consort to Charles II taking the role as one slice of Nevery Sandwich See you next time